Dr. Floyd. What is it, Hal? There is a message for you. Who's calling? There is no identification. What's the message? Message as follows. It is dangerous to remain here. You must leave within two days. What? Do you want me to repeat the message, Dr. Floyd? Who recorded it? This is not a recording. Who's sending it? There is no identification. I don't understand. Neither do I. The weekly pseudo-academic roundtable of pop culture analysis with drinking and swearing. My name is Christopher Maverick, but you can call me Mav. And I am once again here with my co-hosts, Anna and Katya and Wayne. How's it going, guys? Good. Yo! Yeah, I hope people are excited to hear the same people talk for like three weeks on what row, because like after not being on the same show for a long time. We are delightful. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's weird there are four hosts of the show and sometimes we'll go months without all being on the same show <laughs> and then you know and it's, yeah we have all been on the same I was gonna say, this is more the shows than I've been on like in the last three months <laughs> oh it's interesting I like I like talking to you guys so presumably people like listening to us I hope I, I mean hope presumably not. the ones that are listening enjoy it or they no. hate listen to us because they oh, now you know, like sad. to torture themselves <laughs> hey man well, it listens yeah. Yes. Yeah. It's engagement. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> well, we're doing something a little different this uh, today. I think. Um, I, I mean, I guess Hannah, you'll explain this, but you know, we already had a best of the year show a couple weeks ago. So, what are we doing today? Okay. So, I thought because we're now in 2020, we should maybe take a moment and think about like how things have changed since you know 29, 20. Wait, I don't know how it works. 10 years ago? 2009, yeah, 2009, 2010, ever how you want to count the decade, because this is not like a best of list. This is like, well, the world was markedly different in at the end of 2009, beginning of 2010, and not just because I was starting college and Kasia had just been unleashed upon the world, but... <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, this, this, is just gonna come this is your excuse to do a Kesha episode, isn't it? No, I, I wanted to do a full Kesha episode and you will not be able to stop me. Um, but, you know, you know like, the, sure, we've talked about the Avengers and Game of Thrones and Star Wars all happening across this decade. But, like, a lot of other stuff has changed about how we see the world and how we consume media. Um, mm-hmm. I, in 2010, I think my family was still getting DVDs from Netflix into our house. So. Oh, yeah. That was a thing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think... So streaming brings up an interesting thing, I think, overall. I think the biggest change for this decade when I was thinking about this episode is just the way we purchase our media, the way we get our media, and also what kinds of media we're downloading has changed pretty markedly. Um, Coming at us, like, thinking of this, particularly in video games. So, like, video games, I mean, has been a big industry for a long time, but it's now the most profit, or not, it's the... um, most valuable entertainment industry, apparently more than uh, music and videos combined, which is um, I'll drop a link to that article in the in the show notes. 
I think that kind of shift is like symbolic of a lot of different things that have happened. Cause like gaming, even in the nineties was still a relatively niche or semi niche kind of thing. Whereas like now most people, even if they don't own a console or have a PC, like a, a gaming PC play games, um, like the advent of, uh, free or microtransaction based, like, uh, blah, 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 brains. But starting over the advent of like free and microtransaction games like really made gaming more accessible to a lot of people. I mean, I'm even thinking of like, what's the is it Farmville, the weird Facebook app thing Mm. where you harvest carrots and it comes really weird. That thing is weird. Um, Or even like Candy Crush, which I actually didn't even realize is back from 2012 um, and people it's like still a thing that people are super into. Um, There's a casual gaming became. Right. There's a commercial for Candy Crush I saw over the holidays. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, even, so even the, not Candy Crush, like half the games uh, on my iPhone are essentially Candy Crush, even if right, they're not. Right. Right. Oh, yeah. And, or and like even like Angry Birds, which is like a thing a while ago. Yeah. Um, like that kind of like shifted the culture of gaming and made it much more like people. I think that the term game gamer has like much less of a cachet than it used to have. Um, and, and it's partially everybody- because it's become. Sorry. No, I just say just because everybody has games on their phone, just the accessibility of smartphones and and the ease of right. that. The accessibility Every, of smartphones. Has, yeah, everybody has that. You're standing at the bus stop. People are, are gaming. Absolutely. And I think even more people, I think especially even more people that aren't gamers are aware of a lot of the game franchises. I mean, there's the obvious ones like the Nintendo, like everyone knows who Mario is. You know, most people know uh, who like the Zelda characters, even though they often call Link Zelda still, which (laughs) pains me Uh, a little less so than they used to in the 90s. So, you know, we've made some progress Um, or even like, I mean, in the last month, the I believe the Witcher series just dropped based off of, of course, yes, the Witcher game. Mm-hmm. Which I haven't it seen is, anyway, so it is, seen uh, yet. So uh, it is middle of the road. Yeah, from what I can basically tell is people who really enjoy the Witcher game enjoy it, and people who don't know the game or didn't particularly enjoy it aren't into it. Which I think like seems right. Um, but yeah, well, I, I just think like, the economic. I, was gonna, I think you make an make an interesting point there because your entire your, the first thing you said was that the video game industry is sort of the most powerful media franchise right now and i think i mean the, i don't know we're the calling most powerful it, media franchise but well, like there's the, the most money inside yeah, of it because well i mean i think that people don't notice it because we we don't we, we, people there's a stigma of the idea of gamers those are kids or those are nerds or whatever ignoring candy crush and all the things people play when they're st- standing at the bus stop but right. you, you're calling it the witcher tv series based on the game but like mm-hmm. i don't even know if most of the gamers know that there are books witcher's been around forever as a, as a right. book series that you know got replaced with now it's all about you know the game as as sort of a sort of um you know what is the mark of this cultural thing it's the you know it's very much basing it on a video game and, and not you, you know you people, not complete, people completely I mean, un, unaware that angry birds was an opera in the 1860s <laughs> totally i mean there i mean the, the so the, the tv series is also based based off of the, the original like polish um series mm-hmm. and it's also a polish game um but I think it's like they understand that like the game has so much more widespread 
distribution, people are, it's more likely you are going to come to this knowing the game. And if you know the books, you probably read them because you were, you played the game. Like mm-hmm. that's the dominant fan base, I think. Um, but yeah, I think it's just like the, the, just sort of like the pop culture landscape and what actually gains traction has changed a lot. Mm-hmm. Well, we talked about this on our episode about crowdfunding. Like a lot of games, both video games and like tabletop um, or analog games, like that wouldn't have existed in a world without crowdfunding now are able to like be like mass produced and distributed to like their very niche markets. Mm-hmm. Well, it, interestingly, like even as like video gaming and digital media has like obviously expanded a huge amount and not just video games, but just digital media, streaming, all kinds of things. I mean, also like things like Twitch exists now, which I still don't entirely get the appeal of, but you know, people enjoy it. Uh, and also it disturbs me to be perfectly honest. Um, but at the same time, there's also been a resurgence in a lot of analog media. So like D and D is having, I mean, D and D never really went away, but like D and D has become like much more widespread, especially mm-hmm. among like a broader population of like mm-hmm. nerd folk. Um, and non nerd folk. Than, I mean, yeah. And non nerd folk. I mean, yeah, I have people I, like I've, yeah, I, I'm surprised. Certain people just surprise me when they tell me they're playing D and D or any other role playing game. Like, really, you know? Because in my mind, that's still a niche hobby, even though it's mm-hmm. been part of my life forever. Um, Do we think yeah, it's partially yeah. because of Stranger Things? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I was about that, to say that. Yeah. I think like even for people who were played D and D before, like Stranger Things reminded them of D and D. Yes, mm-hmm. it brought people back. And then it, I think it, yeah, I think it introduced it to like a generation of gamers that like maybe knew what D&D was, but didn't have exposure to it and loved Stranger Things. And they're so, so they're like, mm. I want to play the thing that was in the game. Mm. And, movie. And I do the, find the, it interesting that, that TV people, series. I think the analog nature of that as well. I, I do think there are people who are, you know, computer gamers, you know, video gamers, whatever, who kind of like that idea of playing the analog game. I, I think there's mm. been sort of a yeah. backwards evolution totally. there. Well, it's an excuse to like get together with your friends drink a couple of beers or maybe more than a couple, depending on how the game's going uh, <laughs> and like hang out in a way mm-hmm. that we don't often do a lot anymore. Yeah. Um, especially as gamers. Cause like, yeah. yeah, we don't have like, I haven't heard of anyone doing a LAN in a very long time. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm well, part of a monthly role playing group. Uh, yeah. We've been playing the old school Marvel superheroes role playing game from the eighties. We're on like three years now. Mm-hmm. We meet, meet once a month and you know two or three of them are people that I never see any other time really but yeah. it it's great I mean, I, a I'm, a, I'm in a weekly it. one that has been going for four years now and it's mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. and, and my, I think like when I talk to other people who are getting into it yeah it's the same appeal it's like you get to see people you get to interact with people yeah. and mm-hmm. I think we all kind of crave that to a certain extent yeah, my, my game master is someone that I've been gaming with in some context or another for going on 30 years mm-hmm. so I, I also think there's a weird there's I mean you're, you're bringing it up because of the cultural you know the cultural shift that it is D and D, you know, how long has the game's been? Out? The game's been out since mid seventies. Mid seventies, yeah. So I, you know, I got the I got the box set in like seventy seven, seventy eight, probably. So yeah, so forty three, forty, you know, forty five years, something like that. And um, but like it was always you said it was a, it was a nerd hobby, it was a niche hobby, but it was specifically a nerd hobby, one that I loved as a kid. But I literally 
two days ago, I got a phone call from my 13 year old niece who, by the way, is far cooler than I was at 13. Like she, yeah. like, your your she, niece is like super cool. Yeah, but she's um, but she <laughs> she called and she was like, hey, um, I want to start playing Dungeons and Dragons with my friends. My dad, my my younger brother said to call you and ask what I needed. You know? yeah. So, so yeah. And it, like she's and she's into it. And it's not like, you know, Dungeons and Dragons is supposed to be, you know, you play it in a basement with the other non cool kids. Right. That's what it's supposed <laughs> to be. That's what it is on Stranger Things. Right. But right. like that's not where they that's not where they are. Now yeah. you have you have, you know, you have you have people, you have celebrities like having Dungeons and Dragons parties. And then you, you've you got, um, you know, Vin Diesel, the yeah, biggest Vin, D&D nerd ever watching. I mean, not ever, obviously. Um, Deborah Ann Wall, like um, um, the uh, the big show from WWE. There there are all these mm-hmm. people who like have, you know, they just grew up playing the game and they've caused this resurgence. And I think it, I think that's that's weird. And the other one, I mean, to move back to video games for a second, um, like League of Legends is like apparently a real sport now. As yeah. a sport, right? <laughs> you know, like uh, like yeah, I believe actually the one of the like several of the League of Legends tournaments have pulled bigger crowds than the Super Bowl. Yeah, yeah, it's it's. I'll really, see if I could find that statistic, but I th- I think that's what I read. But yeah, it's it's a spectator sport, which is it's just a, it's a massive shift in how we I mean, now uh, you, you want to make fun of it because it's like, huh, that's weird. But not really, because when you're watching the Super Bowl, when you're watching a football game, you're not really doing anything. You're watching other people have fun. Right. So, like, why wouldn't you watch other people have fun playing a video game? I guess I mean, it's not it's just because it's not my thing, I guess. But it, but that mm-hmm. is a massive shift in what we think of as entertainment. I think there's also, I mean, I'm not a big esports person, but I think there's also something about it that, okay, for, first of all, people who pl- like play esports professionally are not like typical gamers. These are people who actually train, are all kinds of like weird stuff. Uh, so I'm not saying that, that like esports people are just like casual, like normal gamers, but I think that there's an idea of like they train by playing ridiculous amounts of video games. What do lots of gamers do? Play ridiculous amounts of video games. So I think there's a den- and like an identification there, like in the same way that like athletes, you know, yeah. identify with professional athletes more yeah. than maybe the casual you know viewer of sports. And I think it's like gaming has become so much more widespread. Mm-hmm. Um that population that identifies with that is like, oh, they are one of me, basically, has only grown. Technically speaking, I am a basketball player in that I own a basketball and I do enjoy shooting it through a hoop. I also play tennis and I and and on occasion football. I am not in the NBA, NFL or or WTAF like I am not going to be right. I, I, I just I'm- I own a car, so apparently I'm into NASCAR. Yeah, well, but yeah, I mean, if if it's something you, I I get it. If you if you really enjoy, like I really do enjoy going and shooting hoops, right? Mm -hmm. That's fun for me. So I get how that you know that translates. But but like me playing basketball in the park is not the same thing as an NBA game, right? Like that's it's a fundamentally different activity that just happens to have sort of the same similar rules yeah (laughs) yeah like um i i have played i have played basketball i've had the opportunity to play basketball against an nba player before which is to say i was on the same physical court yeah 
as um, a, a distant cousin of mine is a is a, um, is a, was, was a professional uh, professional basketball player. So I have played basketball against Kevin Edwards. Um, against is a very generous term. <laughs> very <loose> term. <laughs> <laughs> we were yes. shooting at the same basket. <laughs> to say that we played against each other is more credit than I deserve. You know. <laughs> He, he 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 was playing professional basketball and allowed you to be there. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah. We were at a family reunion together, so it's like, yeah, sure. It's like when you like pat the child on the head for like a for effort, but yeah. several hundred for good thinking. Yes. Good for you, Mav. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So, so, so I, I think that you know, there's I, there's something to that. I mean, I there. It's just it's interesting the shift to where like the. I don't think that video games as a market, you know, video games was a hobby entirely in 2009, 2008, right? Like there, I'm sure there were professional video gamers, but it's not the same. Not, thing. On, not on, yeah, but definitely not in the scale and uh, as there is now. And I think, and I think this happened in a lot of like different media forms, like nerd became no longer like just like a mark of like the unpopular kid or whatever. But it actually became like kind of cool. Yeah. Yeah. Well, like actually, like multiple professors in Mining Katia's English department have commented to me, none of them who work on video games have said that they find it to be the dominant media of our age, not just in terms of like how much money it makes, but like how like like what people turn to to like imagine the world in a certain way. Like it's replaced the novel or film mm-hmm. or even television. <laughs> in their opinion. Okay. Right. I mean, one of the things like, I mean, just speaking about just just using like the finances as a correlation for sales and sort of how widely distributed it is like Grand Theft Auto 5. I'm not going to lie. I'm not a huge Grand Theft Auto player, but Grand Theft Auto 5 is the most financially successful entertainment product of all time. Yeah. Period. Of mm-hmm. any media form, any genre. And like, apparently it has made more than the Star Wars film franchise which blows my mind. Yeah. I think it's billions to, I and think billions it, of dollars. Yeah. I think it needs to include the entire Grand Theft Auto series in order to actually beat the entire Star Wars series. But that's fair. I right. mean, yeah. <laughs> that's still insane because, yeah. like, Star Wars as a cultural phenomenon, like, over decades is huge. Um, it's also, Hannah, you will enjoy this. One of the uh, articles I was reading compared it to it made more money with, than Gone with the Wind. So we can now use Grand Theft Auto. Instead of Gone with the Wind, great. And it's been going. I mean, much like much like Gone with the Wind. I mean, the reason Gone with the Wind made so much money, you know, the the most successful film of all time, was that it was in it was in theaters for like three years. Well, Grand Theft Auto as a franchise has been in you know in production in release for how how many years? The dawn of time. Many yeah, yeah. many years. Yeah, I mean, like civilization has been going on as like a video game series since like ni- the nineties. Yeah, ninety seven and and five and um, and number five came out. The original <laughs> release of number five was two thousand thirteen, and it's just been expansion after expansion ever since then. So, mm-hmm. so yeah, games are a thing. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I think it's it's not just games. Like, I mean, Mav and Wayne, you guys can probably speak more to this than I can. But like, especially like this feels like a decade of comic books in a way that. It hasn't happened in a long time. Well, and you, uh, oddly enough, it's, it's never it's, happened it, ever. Yeah, well, it, it's it's a decade of comic book properties. It's not a good decade for comic books per se. N- no, right. It is a, gotcha. it's, it's yeah. a very 
it's a it's the decade of the superhero and super and nerd adjacent superhero adjacent content. Did you know there are there are lots of things that are comic book movies that mm-hmm. like we don't think of as comic book movies. Um, what's the um, um, well, you can uh, think of something like The Kitchen, which no one thought was a comic book yeah. movie, and also right. no one thought of as a movie. Right. right. Yeah. So well, it, it is. It's like the the number of. I mean, the amount of product out there. You know, the Funko Pops and video mm-hmm. games based on this stuff, and movies based on this stuff, and every show on the CW based on this stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but actual circulation comic books are at a tremendous low. Yes. Um, the 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 sheer number of books being produced, the the print runs are terrible. Uh, comic shops are struggling everywhere. Um, and the the ones that aren't struggling is because they're making up for the lost sales in comics and graphic novels through Funko Pops and action figures and, and all of that sort of thing. Um, mm-hmm. Then the so how do you think like why do you think that is because like I would like I think I would assume a, that the pop the popularity of the movies and things like that would bring more people and, to and the that's comics a, and that's a common assumption and it's simply not true I mean there yeah. there are exceptions Interesting. Uh, you know the the Watchmen TV series came on and. Sales for the original graphic novel went up some. That was true when the Watchmen movie came out in 2009. Mm-hmm. There are things like that that have a specific, like, here's a graphic novel that you can go buy. But I think for lots of people, the, the competition, um, first of all, just in terms of sales, you know, competition with digital downloads, uh, the ability to find free stuff online, uh, price through apps like Comixology. Sure. Uh, people are buying digitally. So that goes into sales for Marvel DC. It doesn't translate to sales on the ground in the brick and mortar stores. Mm-hmm. Um, so so you know, print run is different than sales of the actual product because of digital markets. Uh, competition with just Amazon. You know, if you're buying graphic novels, it's cheaper at Amazon than it is any comic shop in America just because of bulk. Um, so there's there's more competition for for that money uh, from different sources. Uh, you know, I used to joke that you know, 10, 15 years ago, our competition were the other four comic book stores in town. Now our competition is the internet, every right. comic shop in the world. You know, our competition is the card store in Shadyside that sells the big name graphic novels when they never sold mm-hmm. comics 15 years ago, but now you can go there and buy Walking Dead. Um, I think there's also been a transition of just price point you know, a average comic is three ninety nine for twenty pages. Uh, there are people who, why should I buy Green Arrow? I can watch CW. I think people are getting <laughs> that content through other forms and are not reading the comics. Just that a general drop in reading habits. People reading at all, uh, but also they're, they're getting the content. You know, the movies look better than the comics do. The, the imagination of this, uh, they they look stunning and. And yeah, and I, I, you know, for years I've known people who are absolutely in love with the signifiers of comics. People who have Harley Quinn T-shirts and makeup kits and socks and earrings and whatever, who have never set foot in a comic shop or bought a Harley Quinn comic. Um, mm-hmm. they, they've watched the cartoons. They'll watch the movie. No real interest whatsoever in buying the graphic novels with the ongoing comic, and and it's a way of participating in the hobby but it's a very different way of participating in the hobby. And I've seen that trend increase dramatically in the last 10 years. I, this reminds me of um, LA confidential, which I know you're going to be like, of course she's bringing this up, uh, but it's, <laughs> it's not actually just a film. It's based on a book by James mm-hmm. Elroy and people like go up to him apparently. And they say, 
oh, I loved the film, Ellie Confidential. And he's like, well, have you ever bought my book? And they're like, no. And he's like, so what good does it do me? You're right, um, yeah. <laughs> but like, I... I guess I, I say this to like uh, kind of say like, I mean, of course, like comics, I think that's true. But I mean, like just bookstores in general, like even Barnes and yeah. Noble, um, something yeah. like if we, if we look at the end of the 90s, you know, we had You've Got Mail where basically Barnes and Noble was running <laughs> out like little cute stores like comic book shops or, you know, just you know, children's bookstores, like niche, like things. I jokingly, and I'm sure I'm not original in this, have said that the sequel to You've Got Mail is going to be an Amazon stand-in bankrupting Fox Books. Um, yeah. Because, <laughs> yeah. because even, even like Books A Million and Barnes and & Noble are having trouble like staying in. And like, actually, yeah. like we went to Barnes & Noble a couple of days ago and the first floor is like also like half like games and like yeah. Funko Pops and like other stuff, not just like books, which is mm-hmm. fine. Like it, it all like well, it's it, some of another, but some of it is purely profit motive is a profit motive as well. The average comic book these days exists to produce IP, not to make money for the company. Certainly the big, uh, yeah, certainly the big name ones. Yeah. And um, that was, a, I mean, it's a weird thing because, you know, Hannah, you brought up You've Got Mail, but You've Got Mail is a remake of like a 1940 film called yeah. The Shop Around the Corner that has Jimmy Stewart in it, yes. which in itself is based on a play, right? Yes, like, which like, I this is a, love. The, which is based on the Angry Birds opera, right? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's going to, are you trying to make that a thing? Yeah, I'm just trying to make that a thing. It's, it's, <laughs> week after week. New, <laughs> new catch for 2020 um but but yeah it's uh the play is called um uh perfumery is it that that sounds right yeah um but yeah it's um but yeah you've you've got mail is based on an on an older film and the idea behind it of you know the old thing sort of replaced the new i mean i think i think katya said that you know you'd think that like hey you know, all of the most successful films in the world are superhero stories right now. Like just period. Um, mm-hmm. Like they're, you know, Avengers movies or whatever. And you'd expect, oh, well, people will go in and then they'll buy comic books and the comic book industry sort of expected that, too. So, and, you know, there were a bunch of. It seems like a logical assumption. Yeah, yeah. but it's not true because it, it it's sort of it is a and. Part of it is decisions that the comic book industry made out of greed yeah. over 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 a period of 80 years. It's a complex um, issue. Yeah, it's a complex. It's a whole other show. But in the very simplest form, it, comic books are just I mean, I love comics, obviously, but they are not a cost efficient medium. They are right. cheap to produce relative to a film. But for for purchasing 22 pages cost four bucks. Yeah, that's expensive. Right? Yeah. <laughs> and, it, and it takes you six months to get the end of a story, if ever. Right. Right. Yeah. And I mean, the yeah. magazine industry is dying faster than the comic industry is um, because at least the comic industry has a lot of people who are a lot of nerds who are just devoted to it, who who are going to keep buying stuff you know until you pry them from our cold dead hands right but but i mean there aren't enough of us yeah yeah and and i mean if you think about it um just trying to think of something well, it's hard to get into did. as well like yeah yeah oh, yeah, yeah i mean yeah, like, especially the superhero yeah. stories like how many spider-man comics are there and holy jeez yeah. right now yeah the barrier to entry is, is impossible four or five being published no, like, yeah. you, right now you wanted to start from the beginning of spider-man and just like read the whole history 
and 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 nor should you you know even yeah. if even if yeah, you're interested yeah, in the you really that's should not, not the way you to should do not it. Yeah. you should yeah. actually just forget mm-hmm. that like the 2000 spider-man stuff ever happened um yeah, yeah. every time well, i tried I, to get i ended up going back to comic book stores but even like sort of like oh this is a thing i enjoy but i was like i want to read this the, like i yeah the superhero comics I'm just like, I'm not even going to try and figure this out. I'm yeah, just going to well, read the indie stuff. And, and that's it. There is so much other content that I could direct you to. Like, I would find you something you would like, you know, given right. the opportunity. No, totally. And, and, but there's, there's so many other things. Like, there's, you know, two Netflix series that were on in, in the last year. One just premiered fairly recently, uh, Daybreak and, um, the end of the fucking world were both based on graphic novels and nobody knows that those are two graphic novels I barely know exist. My, my example is always Road to Perdition. The film yeah, Road to Perdition. Uh, yeah. Oscar winning prestige film based on a graphic novel. There's I, no way to know that unless you just are. Uh, and you that's know, a, I, and I guarantee you genre. anybody who watched Daybreak in the last month, you know, if two people mm-hmm. saw that on Netflix and went to a gra- comic store and asked about it, I would be amazed. Uh, <laughs> You know, yeah, it just it's that's that doesn't translate into sales for the graphic novel. But the IP of that, Brian Ralph, who did the graphic novel, made more money off of optioning that to Netflix than he will ever make off of that graphic novel. So, yeah, right. of course he did. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and 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 it makes sense because, I mean, so at this point, even for even ignoring the indie stuff, which is which frankly is more interesting as to people taking chances. Um, mm-hmm. The reason Marvel Comics exists, the reason DC Comics exists, is as a content farm to make films for later. It is yeah. it is relatively cheap. It's a loss leader in, in many ways, but it's yeah. relatively cheap to beta test this story about Spider-Man that I want to do in a comic book rather than spending $200 million to make a film. Right, right. So and and Marvel and DC both have 80 years worth of IP already produced. Right, right. So it, it's it's a hard, weird problem. And then it goes into the, you know, the idea of, you know, why, you know, in in our Marie Kondo world, yeah. <laughs> why yeah. am I why am I buying physical paper media? Like I can't carry a comic book around on my iPad. I can carry digital content on my iPad. Mm-hmm. I don't even need to. I can stream digital content from the ether whenever Shit, I want to I, from the cloud. I'm, I'm moving and I have 20 long boxes of comics. Fuck. Yeah. It, it, yes. I mean, I do it because I, I mean, it's the same thing. I, I buy physical, I, I buy physical DVDs. I'm weird. Yeah. But I do too. Yeah. And you know why I do? Because you like bookshelves? Well, yes, I like, I do like bookshelves. I like having physical copies of things mm-hmm. and yeah. it's not, it's not, it's not so much that like, but like if you, if you store it correctly, it's not clutter. And if it brings you joy and you actually use it, it's right. not yeah. clutter. I, I, according thing, to Mary Kondo, we can cite her on this. <laughs> yes. Yes. It's not just about getting rid of all of your stuff. It's about keeping things yeah. that matter to you mm-hmm. and like yeah. taking also, care of them. Paper. Paper is an excellent insulator. So if you have enough books around your house, <laughs> your heating bill will be lower. Um, <laughs> which, you know, I'm going to lose all my insulation when I graduate. So let's not talk about <laughs> that. But, I, but the, the thing it's is, okay. we'll like, all be unemployed and driftless anyway. So it's fine. We've, we've already kind of like talked about a little bit, but like the way we like consume content now versus at the beginning of the decade when people did this, but not as much is that 
we like have all of our we we don't buy physical CDs, our vinyl, our cassettes. Usually, we buy it, like an MP3 digital album or just use like Spotify or something. Or like we yeah. we like buy like a movie directly from Amazon or iTunes and have it stored in a digital library. But you know what happens when you have things stored in a digital library? <laughs> that digital library. That digital library is like like the a private company has access to that digital yeah. library and they can take those things away. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, you don't actually you you, you own it but you don't actually own it. You own a license to see it. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Whereas with the DVD, Which, they aren't going to come to my house and repossess Coco. Right. <laughs> but, um, yeah, but then you also have the problem which I feel like is also was in some ways an issue of this last decade is media format obsolescence, which in some ways yeah, it is. That's what the digital, it was at least the di- digital streaming and everything is one solution to that. Um, sort of. I mean, if you're clever enough, you right, can convert your cassette actually, tapes yeah. to Blu-ray or digital copies you store on your laptop, not on Amazon server. Right. Yeah. I mean, do you like know how many even, people are mad that they've lost that they've lost access to the office or friends suddenly because they've moved yeah. off Netflix to some other? I mean, it's not it. I don't, I think it feels because it was newer. It felt like, hey, you know, what if my VCR breaks? What if my laser player breaks? What if my DVD player breaks? Like, I I understand that, but on the other hand, like you are at the mer- like Hannah said, you're at the mercy of of the company that is your cloud service provider. A existing still, not just going out of business, and B having a license to keep you know keep providing you the content that you want to watch look if you only watch friends on netflix here's what you do you cancel your netflix subscription you take that money that you save you buy the dvds of friends and a (laughs) dvd drive you can plug into your laptop if your laptop doesn't have one and then you can watch friends to your heart's content yeah i'm not saying that's a good choice i'm just saying (laughs) that is the choice that would save you money in the long run Mm -hmm. if you're only streaming something for friends yeah or insert show here Mm -hmm. well weirdly also in the gaming industry there's a version of that it's not quite the same problem as streaming but um one of the other issues is sort of like the issue which isn't super new but is an ongoing issue of um dlc content which is sort of like you buy the game and then there's another game you buy onto it which you can elect to buy or not that's a little bit less controversial. The fun one is microtransactions, mm-hmm. um, which the gaming in- like industry basically invented. And the most common mm-hmm. ones that come under controversy are the ones where basically you buy a loot chest and you get some kind of content that's inaccessible to other people, like basically unlocking um, an item or some portion of the game that only you get to have because you paid stupid quantities of money. Um, and it's actually become under like the scrutiny, the scrutiny of the U S government and basically like, aha, this is a part of, this is actually gambling and this now has to be regulated. Josh actually wrote something about this for like legal is like legal mm-hmm. journal stuff in law school. Cause it's apparently a really big issue. Um, yeah. Like, right. Cause it's the, it's a similar issue of like, you're buying something that you're buying something ephemeral. So it's like in the mm-hmm. same way of buying access, mm-hmm. you're, you're buying the chance to get something determined by an algorithm. Uh, that may or may not mean anything. And it's also like something that was, it's probably one of the major reasons that video games are so popular. And actually the statistics I quoted earlier, I'm not sure if if it actually includes phone gaming, which is a quite profitable industry, like mostly because of microtransaction, because a 99 cent transaction for most people is painless. Mm -hmm. But when you see your like, I, you know, your Apple 
bill or your Android bill at the end of the month and there's $200 worth of microtransaction fees, it is definitely not painless. I will um, actually. So uh, actually, this is actually a weird problem because, I mean, you pointed out the gaming industry yes. in, invented it. I beg to differ. The gaming industry made it work. Microtransactions, ah. the, comic bu- the comic book industry, or actually, phrase, the web comic industry spearheaded by scott mcleod and and his and his the worst of his books reinventing comics which i actually enjoy <laughs> but reinventing comics wayne you'll you'll attest to this was a physical book that came out and sadly half the ideas in it were disproven by the time it got through press yeah. because he was writing about the internet comics for the internet and in the of, yeah yeah and, and one and, of the things he making a lot of assumptions about what this would mean for i mean the right. internet and comics in particular yeah and a lot Anytime, of them a Anytime anyone kind of tries break. to anticipate internet yeah. culture, yeah. they fail horribly. And a lot yeah. of the ideas it just, were it brilliant. Well. But but yeah, yeah. I mean, microtransactions was, was one of them. He wanted microtransactions. It was, it was like a four or five hundred page graphic novel that he drew, so it took him a while to get there. Yeah, and he talked so about how, it. Wait, how would that work with comics? It's like you're paying. It's like is it because it's like a serialized medium, so you're paying for each right. issue. So how does a microtransaction you work? You don't do it. You don't do it for comics like you think of comics. The idea, McCloud's idea was. Um, and he's right. He's absolutely right for the, his idea was banner ads suck. Pop-up yes. ads suck. Everyone hates them. So here's, here's an idea, idea though. Like instead of doing, instead of doing ads, why don't I just pay a penny or a tenth of a penny every time I load XKCD? I'm a big XKCD fan. If I load, okay. if, if it just charges me a penny every time, that's painless. It won't hurt. And then, um, and then just like over the, you know, if I, if I, if I read a hundred XKCD comics, comic strips, it's just cost me a dollar. I'm fine. And his idea was that like, eventually it would, that would be a revenue stream for the artist because he was very concerned with creator owned material. Um, and like, and, and then that would, you know, it's a, it was literally a microtransaction so much, so little money that I don't care about it. And then the idea was, um we wouldn't need advertising anymore um he did not take into account piracy he did not take he, i mean it like it, it assumes right, that an altruism that you can't do and pay yeah. it and then they will save that image file and redistribute it yeah. yes yeah. like and, and they were, then these were all issues that in 1998 when he was working on this just no one had thought of right 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 and no he, totally yeah. mm-hmm so because the book came out in the year 2000, like towards the end of the year, I think. Too. Yeah. And then like I, I remember him getting into arguments online with um, with other comic creators. People were like, this is stupid, man. It's not going to happen. And, you know, but he had so much he had so much cultural capital from writing Understanding Comics, his first theoretical book that like people listen to him. And then he's you know, I've seen him speak about it. He's like, yeah, I thought they were good ideas at the time. He He knows that it didn't work. Yeah. So. But the but the video game industry made it work and they made it work, like you said, in a gambling way. It's amazing that they made it work for something where you're you're not even definitely like at least for the penny. I know I get my comment. Right. I I think it's arguably microtransactions, I think, are slowly destroying games that use them. And this is maybe Mm. another episode, but it's. And I think that's why, like, both in the gaming and like in the gaming industry, like I haven't met a gamer that thinks microtransactions are a good idea. Maybe one exists. They probably work for a gaming company Um, (laughs) because like it. I don't know. Like, I don't even like games that have an ongoing subscription fee. I want to make similar to Hannah. I want to pay for the game and I want to play it and not have to worry about like ongoing fees, basically, because aside from like the financial like investment in it, 
it takes me out of the world because it's like, well, now I have to make a financial decision. Yeah. Like, even if it's small, it has to do with my actual world bank account, not I am playing this game and trying to be in this game world. And so, yeah, it just, no, nope, nope, nope. We should talk about, um, cause that was one of the things that I wanted to talk about is, um, I, I have just listed on, on my list. I have the streaming wars, <laughs> which yeah. is not, yeah, not just, I mean, this is video games, but for me, one of my big, one of my big academic interests is television and television fundamentally changed in the last decade in a way that I actually predicted and didn't like um, that what you'll, what you'll remember is um, uh, very starting around. You talked about you know, beginning DVDs on Netflix when Netflix started doing the worst streaming stuff. I remember the big, the big thing going on online is like, I want to cut the cord. I want to get rid of cable. We're cutting the cord. And I was, I was the guy going, no, 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 no. I do not want this. Do not want because there's too much niche stuff that everyone watches that you don't realize you watch. And the reason cable worked is because my, my mom's favorite show on television is the first 48. It's a show on A and E that is, it's an investigative journalism show that she loves. And that show exists because they can amortize the cost of producing random niche A and E content with random niche golf channel content and tennis channel that Stephanie watches and the game show network. And you know, nobody's nobody wants to pay for every, for every network individually. And now we've moved to this point where because of cutting the cord, Netflix is a thing and Disney plus is a thing. Mm-hmm. And, and a million Hulu's other things a thing. are a thing. Yeah. And those are just the big players. Now I'm, you know, I, I've got to play, I've got to pay for my DC universe app. HBO goes coming out. I'm sure, you know, even little people like the CW has one, which is at least related to my cable bill, but like there, there are so many little, little transactions. And if you subscribe to everything, you now have a monthly streaming bill of like 500 bucks a month. And I'm like, yeah. No. <laughs> yeah, I I've somehow figured out and I guess this is what lots of people do. If I pay for this streaming service and my sister pays for this one and my parents pay for this one, we can all get away with like mm-hmm. the big streaming services only like paying, you know, $15 a month mm-hmm. each or something. And then like yeah. we share, but then but they but you're keep adding the system more. now. Well, yeah, and and yeah, and it's just going to keep getting more and more and more. I wouldn't call it cheating yeah. the system when they purposely set up like four profiles, knowing what you're going to do. There's sometimes right. the problem with sharing Netflix is that you have to pay for like more than two people to like more for more than two people to watch it once. So mm-hmm. sometimes I'm like, hey, Mary, is there any chance that you'll let me watch this one thing right right now? Um, I also think that I mean, aside from the money thing, this uh, streaming sort of um, it sort of killed appointment television. I think we're losing. Yeah. I've mentioned I've mentioned before. See, I'm okay with that. Show. I hate appointment television. Well, I I'm okay. I'm okay. I, I'm I'm sort of weird about it because I've mentioned one of my favorite books before on this show. I've mentioned um, nobody got time for that. The, the revolution was televised by Ellen Seppenwall, which talked mm-hmm. about us being in the second golden age of television. And he was talking about, he was talking about prestige TV shows, you know, your breaking bads, your, um, he talked about, um, uh, Buffy, the vampire show and Slayer. It's not necessarily all prestige, but these big things where we are making, um, we are making serialized content that is, makes an artistic statement. Lost was one of his shows. Um, yeah, things like that. And I, Sopranos, I think those are ending now. I think that um, 
I think that Game of Thrones, you know, was probably the end of it. I, I, I don't think that like there's still things like The Walking Dead's out there and it's popular, but people don't like get together. There's not a thing anymore where everybody talks the next day about, oh, my God. <sighs> Did you see I what disagree. happened? I disagree. Mean, I think I think it's not as necessarily as yeah. big as Game of Thrones, which I. But like my friends and I all got together on Sunday night and we watched Watchmen. And sure. um, I think I think weirdly it's actually because the the cost of streaming is coming back. Like a lot of people are doing with this with this with the Mandalorian. Right. It's one person like they all basically chip in for a Disney Plus thing, and then once a week everyone gets together to watch the Mandalorian. Like. I know. I guess it's like I know a lot of people that have TV viewing parties, like even for oh, streaming yeah. stuff. Well, that's what I mean. I, I, but I, but I think that it's a different kind of appointment. I think that you've got to. I think you've gotten to this thing where I mean, and Mandalorian's artificial, right? Because Mandalorian Disney is intentionally dropping one episode a week to sort of create this sort of oh, idea absolutely. of it. They could very easily have done it the way Netflix did, and I think that Disney, I think Disney can get away with it because they're Disney and they've got the money to sort of force you, you know, what are you going to do? Not watch Star Wars, right? Like that's the that's the mentality yeah. That, yeah. That, that they've got. But I don't think I don't think you can do that with I'm trying to think of shows that I liked. No, uh, that no I think they could. I should, education. They should, no, I think. Sorry. Well, maybe not that, but like I think that, that Netflix has actually killed a lot of their buzz and this is what other people on the internet have thought too. So this is not just me by like dropping stranger things all at once, mm-hmm. having people binge it over the course of one to two days. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And because then, like, it became like gone. a minor blip. Like there were even yeah. people who I knew who like were not being big into stranger things. Like didn't even realize there was a new season. Cause like the online discussion mm-hmm. of it was like momentary. Like if you mm-hmm. can, if you can avoid the spoilers, like, like Game of Thrones, everybody was talking about Game of Thrones or like even the good place. Like you might not watch it at the time that the episode drops, but everybody's talking about for the, like a week after mm-hmm. and you have to stay caught up to not be spoiled because those shows have big twists like at every episode, one of them better than the other. And like Stranger Things, if you can just avoid like the spoilers online for, I don't know, three days and not talk to your friends, everybody has moved on to something else and you can just watch it whenever you want. Mm-hmm. I didn't yeah, get to watch Stranger Things for three years. Mm-hmm. Literally three years. I waited for Josh to finish law school so I could watch mm-hmm. Stranger Things. And like I didn't not care about it. I like I, oh, I forgot yeah. it existed, you know? And whereas I don't like think it affects the content. I don't think it affects the quality of the content. No, I just but like it, it you you lose a experience. community. Like Stranger yeah. Things is like the most popular yeah. thing on Netflix. But mm-hmm. like where are all the people? I mean, obviously not right now. And I guess we are kind of right now. Uh, like where are all the people talking about Stranger Things in a community all together, not online bingers, because it's hard to like do that with binge. TV. I mean, even like Gilmore Girls, something like my friends and I like watched and like we still like go back to the old series and watch a little bit. It dropped over Thanksgiving. I binge watched it with my parents. They binge watched it with their parents. We were all extremely disappointed. We did not rewatch it together again. That online community, that discussion thing, Hannah, you know, with Lost, I, I, you know, when Lost was airing, that oh appointment TV kind of thing. Yes. And that, you know, so much of the fun of that was there were the message boards at the time. You went on yeah. and people were posting screenshots and, and theorizing. And even if you were wrong, you, you weren't, I wasn't necessarily watching it with other people. I had a friend I worked with was watching it. So we would do this in person. But there was that online community doing that. And, there was some of that happening with Watchmen this fall, but I think in general, when people just binge through something, everybody's watching it on different timelines. Mm-hmm. And I think there is something though, because like, so there are 
The one community I know, I know personally that still does that is weirdly the sewing community mm-hmm. because so the marvelous Miss Maisel is first of all, love that show, not caught up, but uh like the sewing world who's into like vintage fashion, there yeah. is a fashion history breakdown of every episode yeah. all over the place. People discussing it like both like the costume design and the show. And so like, I think, I think the cool thing about where those pockets of like online discussion still exist, mm-hmm. they're so hyper niche of like, I don't have anyone around me locally that could listen to me talk about this stuff and be at all interested because it's not that like, mm-hmm. I'm the only sewing human um, <laughs> that I, in my friend group really. Uh, so like, I think there is like, I get the point about like the appointment television is less widespread, but I think there's also that's allowed like some very cool, more niche things that maybe didn't get a lot of like people, people didn't have the mm-hmm. energy or the bandwidth for mm-hmm. to kind of pop up in ways that are really nice. Cause like, you, you can know, find I those don't, communities. I, yeah. Like I don't get to nerd out about like vintage fashion and stuff on TV shows <laughs> other like than other people, like as a curiosity. Um, and that one time where my friends had me over during project one runway specifically so I could bitch about how <laughs> horrible they all. So, um, but that's another, that's, that's for another time. <laughs> Um, well, and uh, so just continuing with media, another one of the things that I had was, you know, um, one of the things that caused this was Disney buying everything. Disney owns all media now. Um, Not all, but a significant portion. It's scary. Um, but yeah, they, I mean, they, they started off with, um, Disney bought Marvel Comics, um, right before the decade started. I think they bought it in 2009. Um, then they bought Star Wars two years later. Um, they bought, they, they already owned ABC. They own ESPN. They bought Fox. Buying Fox, uh, that matters a lot. That mm-hmm. suddenly means that they are like, if you look at, uh, if you look at movie sales for last year, something like 60% of the sale of the, of total worldwide box office went to Disney. That's insane. That's um, insane and kind of horrifying. Yeah. And, 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 and that's ignoring television. It's ignoring streaming. It's ignoring what little money they make from comic books, what money they, you know, what money they, they make from toy sales. They own a travel company. They own like Disney is really has the budget of, of you know, of countries at this point. Um, Dude, you think that maybe they could pay their workers since they have so much so. money, but, they, but that, but that, but the fact that they won't, I mean, that sort of changes the entertainment media. Like, I mean, things like the fact that like the success of the MCU, which is a Disney thing and the success of star Wars, even when it, even with the failures that star Wars has had, that's how we make movies. Now the franchise, the, the IP, that's all that matters because everyone is chasing, you know, you're chasing that Disney dragon. You're trying to yeah. get to that level. So it just changes how we write stories now. I feel like we're all just yes. having a sad moment of like, Oh God. <laughs> <laughs> well, like, I, I I would say something about this, but Disney owns me, so I... right, totally. Well, it makes it like I don't know. I feel like this maybe because I'm around more movie people in this decade than I used to be. But it seems like the movie industry, especially like the mainstream blockbusters, has gotten so much more repetitive. Like even even when it's not a giant franchise, it's like a remake of something that like no one really asked for. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and like the, like the lack of originality is like I mean I think this is one of the reasons why like I'm I'm kind of like iffy on 
on going to the movies a lot of times because it's like I don't want to see a movie I've seen before all the time. Well, well that, and that then, lack of no, so not, I think I, I'm gonna I'm gonna use comics again as you know, that lack of originality thing is and my you and I've talked about this for yes. 25 years now. Um if I as a creator work for Marvel and I'm writing Spider-Man I'm not going to create a brand new character for Marvel because Marvel then owns it and it can right. go on to become billions. And you know, Robert Kirkman, who created Walking Dead, owned the rights to it and it was published by Image where he was allowed to maintain the rights to it. He's now, therefore, an incredibly wealthy man. Mm-hmm. So original content, nobody's doing that for the big companies because they don't want to lose that IP. And I think that's right. true in movies as well. Like there, there are people who are hesitant to give over an original idea or an original script. Movie studios are going to already established IP because right. the people who create it don't want to lose that larger right on that you know, billionth of a chance that this might become the next big thing. Well, yeah, because the, the, the famous one, obviously, is uh, Schuster and Siegel, uh, yeah. the people who created Superman, sold the rights to Superman to what became DC Comics National Media, I think it was yeah. at the National Periodicals, yeah. Yeah, but $10, but, $10 um, a page, twelve ten dollars a page, twelve pages, hundred and twenty bucks is what they sold Superman for. Hundred and twenty dollars um is was they gave up their rights to their future and were in litigation and lawsuits on and off till they died trying to get like a little piece of the Superman pie. And everybody's afraid of doing that. Uh, what's his name? Invented Nightcrawler. Um, Wayne. Dave, Dave Cochran. Dave Cochran. Invented Nightcrawler. No one disputes. No one this. disputes. Everyone it. knows. Everyone knows he invented Nightcrawler. Not Chris Claremont. No one else at Marvel. Everyone knows that Dave Cochran invented Nightcrawler. Nightcrawler gets into a movie. Um, X two. Not necessarily a great movie, but a movie that's a smash hit at the box office and is making Marvel saving Marvel comics and, and um, because from bankruptcy and at this time, Cochran is in hospice care, dying penniless <laughs> and, and people are scared because he was a freelance artist his entire life. And, you know, with no, with no retirement or yeah. no and no health care right. uh, at the time, the internet, shamed marvel into paying a lot of his medical bills yeah they, but it was out of shame it was out of shame there was else. no legal requirement yeah. for us right so now you end up with you know even as big a company as disney is you know disney only marvel and even though they use the comic book industry as um as their you know genesis for ideas the idea of a new character like the 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 most successful new property at Marvel Comics I can think of is and Wayne knows what I'm going to say because we've talked about this before is Deadpool. Deadpool is yeah. their hot new character. Deadpool premiered in 1991. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, I mean, they're, they're, and, and the other characters who are quote unquote new characters, Miles Morales and Ms. Marvel, Kamala Khan, they're all legacy characters. They are based on existing Right. Marvel ideas. It's Spider-Man. It's Ms. Marvel. So while they are new characters, they are part of a legacy that couldn't exist. They couldn't exist without this legacy that they are are part of an existing IP. So they they don't generate new ideas. And and so because of that, you're sort of you and because Disney, I think, sets the standard for how everybody else in media reacts, be they movies, comics or novels or anything else, because Disney has sort of created this world where IP matters and no one wants to give up their IP rights. I think we're trapped into 
having mm-hmm. to tell the same stories over and over again. We want a sure thing. I don't know. Make Ghostbusters again. Let's yeah. see what happens. And, and, <laughs> and the big companies will bend over backwards to to deny some of those rights from people. In mm-hmm. on the TV show Arrow, the character Felicity Smoke, there was a character in the Green Arrow comics in the 1980s by the name of Felicity Smoke. Was she even in Green Arrow, or was she in? I, I, I thought she was I, in Firestorm. I, 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 yeah, or she, something. But, I don't remember. Yeah. She's created by I she's believe a Jerry, minor characters. Yes, yeah, she's, yes. But she's created by Jerry Conway, who when he discovered Felicity Smoke was appearing on the CW, went, uh, hey. And the response was the character appearing on the TV show was significantly different enough to be a brand new character, therefore he had no rights to it. Yeah. Oh, good lord! And she is. I mean, yeah, and she's she completely un, she's completely unrelated, other than name. But they did the name because they knew that they would sell some stuff. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and that and that's a fairly common response on their part. Mm-hmm. This gives me a sad. Can we yeah. can we talk about something else? Well, I would imagine that, that yes. also. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yes. That that. that um, <laughs> Well, okay. Uh, I love how we're on that happy just, note. Yeah. Like, can we talk about something else that, like, like entertainment studios have done to just make money over the course of the decade that eventually petered out? Which What's that? Uh, December two thousand nine, Avatar comes out. Oh boy! <laughs> oh god! And then dooms us. I hate that movie so much. To, well, yeah. To number one, not only having a terrible movie, but two, three D in movie theaters. Unnecessary three like, D. As, as like as like a very unnecessary three D. Also, like for a while, some theaters would only show movies in three D. Mm-hmm. Like I had to go see How to Train Your Th- Dragon in three D because there was one theater in Starkville, Mississippi, and they were showing it on one screen with three D. Which actually the three D wasn't so bad with How to Train Your Dragon. It it wasn't like a cash grab in the same way that like the Harry Potter franchise, which also, by the way, has wildly fallen out of popularity for a large variety of reasons that have nothing to do with 3D across this decade. But, mm-hmm. but you know, uh, yeah, so 3D, it's, it's thankfully like calmed down. I haven't had to go see a 3D movie in years, though now like they're doing things like Dolby Cinema and also like... <laughs> 4D where like some theaters like like oh, give God. you motion seats like I went to Tuscaloosa nope. for Christmas nope. and like Mm-mm. yeah and we didn't we didn't watch the movie but they like had like a little display where you don't like, want that. By, by the arcade where you can sit in the seat and you can like sh- like pick how much motion you want so you can like None. fly in the cockpit along with like nope. like yeah it's what? They I add, do not want to be motion sick. Sick. And they constantly. add smells. They add. Yeah. Uh, they add mist and smoke. And I do not want any of this. <laughs> I would like to point out that this is a patent from Morton Helig from the '60s. But anyway. But like you know, like people. I mean, movie theaters actually struggle. Like even though box office sales make records, it's because of inflation, not because of butts and seats. So like, cinemas have been like trying to figure out how to convince people that they want to go to the movies. And they thought 3D was the way. And then mm-hmm. did some other stuff. Yeah, and it, I think in a lot of ways, like, the VR and AR stole 3D's thunder. Because, like, once you've... I think once a lot of people, especially, like, now that there's, like, uh, VR arcades and things like that, I think, like, once people are, like, interacting with these characters in a way that feels more, like, natural, 3D... I think to a lot of, especially I think a lot of kids who, like, grew up with video games and a lot of more, like, intense media than, like, 3D, I think re- doesn't really appeal to them as much um and i feel like those those kind of gimmicky things are often targeted towards like young adults kids things like that um and like yeah like digital media in other forms has gotten so much more 
I think pull for that audience that 3D, I think just like kind of, kind of screwed in that respect. Well, I have a nice happy one. <laughs> Yay! I want happy. Um, this is something, and well, it's happy until capitalism ruins it, um, which is also part of this conversation. But um, I think that I think that the this decade has done, as far as pop culture media goes, and it's a reflection of how things have changed. This is the decade of diversity of in 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 media types and it's really easy to see with movies it's it's really easy to see with um particularly even with superhero movies you know you've got a black panther movie you've got a wonder woman movie you've got a you know hey you know there are other people in this world other than you know 15 to 25 year old white men so we're gonna make movies about them and that becomes a thing where, you know, hey, we're just going to now on a more negative show than this on, you know, you might have people who are saying you are doing your SJW agenda and forcing it in my face and blah, blah, blah. And, well, you know, let's, let's, let's not care about those people. Well, no, because I, I mentioned it because, yes, we are. That is a thing. Those are also the same people who don't like Baby Yoda and they're wrong. Right. right. Well, but I mean, yeah, I think I think that I mean, there is a they just don't understand joy. Right. There is a thing where we are now actively searching out and sort of trying to have a progressive agenda in a lot of our media um, in in an attempt to change the world. That is that is true. Sorry. <laughs> I mean, not sorry, but, <laughs> and, and <laughs> but on a more uh, cynical level, like I think it's a way that a lot of media. I mean, we were, we were talking earlier about like the era of the franchise and repetitive story. I think it's the way a lot of. Uh, media companies are turning for the novelty that people are looking for because it's like, oh, you're telling a story we haven't heard ten gajillion times before, right? Right, or or at least trying to, you know, Wayne, you you often say that you know the joy of reading is experiencing empathy for people who are not like you, right? Yeah, and that's that's I think reading music, movies, television, I, uh, video games. I think that I think that mm -hmm. there is a thing where. Um, where we are trying to sort of express differing viewpoints or cultural mora or, you know, these are yeah, good things. Video I mean, games still yeah. still lagging massively behind, except within the indie sphere. But, you know, but they're, they're trying try sometimes. They're trying. I mean, it's, yeah. it's slow. I mean, yeah. comics are comics are. It's, it's funny because, you know, those people that, you know, I was talking about, they will tell you, you know, Marvel's constantly trying to do this. And, you know, Marvel's constantly giving us all the feminist superheroes or the gay superheroes. No, they're not like maybe 10 percent. Maybe, yeah. you know, like the yeah. vast, the vast <laughs> I, I, majority of Marvel superheroes are white guys, like yeah. by a lot. Like, like blonde guys. Yeah, they're very Aryan. If you put Steve Rogers and Don Blake and, and Clint Hawkeye Martin and, and, and yeah. Henry Pym in a room together, you can't tell them apart. Right. It, <laughs> so it's it's not that much. It's just that, you know, it is nice to just every once in a while, like the fact that they've decided that canonically Loki again not a new character because they don't make new characters but canonically Loki is a non-binary character in comics now and, and, and you know and if you read Norse mythology he always has been he always has been <laughs> so like so it's it, it, it's interesting that they're doing that and I don't know if it's going to make the Disney Plus show but I hope it does and that's that's kind of a because how many non-binary superheroes can you name yeah, exactly. So, like that's it. So, like I, the fact I, I, that I would be better at this game than most. <laughs> right, right, right. Well, sure, um, but like that. But like, uh, but like, 
it's not a certainly not in big no. media so it's it's no. great that they're trying and then you know you you end up with um you end up with uh, movies like a you know um call me uh, call me by your name you know like those are like uh, you you can make these niche films now that have a chance you can make a moonlight mm-hmm. and, you know not just not just make a moonlight for nerds who are who like oscar bait films you know like like me but you can make a moonlight and people go to see that now that's astounding you know and i, I think that's great mm-hmm. and of course you know hollywood will copy it to death and that's yes. the negative side <laughs> yep. market it but but for now, I think, you know, I, I think that you know, the fact that you can have movies, you can have, and I think that matters in, in a moment where, yes. we're, where we're doing stuff like, you know, love matters and, you know, we're going to, we're going to legalize um, same sex marriage. And, and like, I think that when, in a world where, where we can normalize homosexuality, we can normalize being black, we can normalize being female or non-binary, like all, all the typically impoverished communities, we can sort of, we're trying to uplift them. I think that the fact that we're at least sort of trying in media, even if it's just in a ham-fisted, give us your money kind of way, is good. It's a start. Yeah. So, so we could all be equally screwed by capitalism. So we should, of course, yeah. you know, keep pushing for better because like... Yes. Oh, absolutely. The, the, absolutely. You know, like, I, think, I think that like one reason why like these things get critiqued by the people that they're trying to attract because they fit into a certain demographic is because they're telling stories about people different from them, but they're not actually letting those people tell their stories. Yes. yes. All the time. Yeah. Um, That's especially so- true of the video game industry where like the vast, vast majority of developers are still predominantly heterosexual dudes. And like, I mean, I've seen some game companies that maybe have like half a dozen people that don't fit that description. Um, you know, and it's a hundred, right. Or more. Um, and at least people that I've talked to anecdotally, like in the industry, even when those people are in the room, their voices are often ignored because the way that the gaming industry, like basically the status quo of the gaming industry, what's commonly done was made in an era where the vast majority of gamers were a certain type of person. Um, often pretty hostile to the ways that women, you know, more like not offensive. I would even say positive, but like not offensive representations of women of minorities and things like that, where that wasn't not only not a priority, but even there were communities that were actively antagonistic to that. And that's the norm. So you're not just fighting against like the other people in the room. You're fighting against now like decades of game, like gaming tropes. Mm. Well, like, I mean, like look at what Kathleen Kennedy who like isn't, charge of lucasfilm said about like women directing star wars she's like i can't think of a woman who's ready to direct star wars which is full of i mean like she said more than that to explain herself but it's all still bullshit because yeah. like look at who they've hired i mean and then fired to direct <laughs> star wars right. like i mean like don't give me that crap like i, I mean like bryce dallas howard and a couple of other women directed like uh episodes of the mandalorian yeah mm-hmm. but like don't don't no just no 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 i mean no no i mean like if i I remember correctly in the history in the history of the star wars franchise literally uh and i mean franchise um movies and tv shows that nobody remembers droids cartoons um literally um two women and one black person have directed any star wars and both of those are the last three months (laughs) 
<laughs> like they're mm-hmm. literally like, since the Mandalorian. It's been the fir- the first ever Star Wars directed directed by a person of color, and the first ever Star Wars directed by um, a female person. Mm-hmm. We're both like, the end of the, sh- the the end of the decade. I think it's also like there's a huge shift between the beginning of the decade and the end of the decade as far as like representation in pop culture. I mean, yes. for gaming specifically, like Gamergate was 2014. Which I think that specifically started like for a lot of people like brought to attention the toxic like toxic populations of the gaming industry um, and like the gaming communities. And I imagine that like similar like similar shifts. I mean, even we we, like we haven't talked about sort of broader political movements like Me Too, for example, Mm -hmm. um, changed sort of like not only what was it was okay to say or do in public, but also like like companies now have to make, I think, a much more conscious effort to demonstrate that they're not shitty, horrible people, mm-hmm. or at least they have to try and pretend. Or they suffer consequences. And some people yeah. have offered not, and, but which is a choice. I mean, I think that, you know, I, I would call it hashtag activism. I think that we, we very much focus when we're doing, when we're criticizing social media, when we're doing academic criticism of social media, but also even in popular social media criticism, we look at stuff like uh, we, we look we, we we tend to only look at the negative stuff. We talk about, mm-hmm. you know, um, social media, um, Cambridge Analytica or the or hacking Facebook and like losing all your data and everything. The fact that like Me Too, Black Lives Matters and Gamergate, to name a negative one, those don't exist pre 2010 like that the fact that you can have uh, you can have a bunch of people organizing for good or for bad behind a cause um i don't necessarily know that they all work the same because people people try to use it the same way they used marching they're like oh well i have just posted you know hashtag thoughts and prayers i'm done now and it doesn't necessarily do things nor does just posting hashtag me too i'm done now do what i think people think it does but mm-hmm. it does create an awareness in a way that I don't think is possible in the days of, you know, Martin, Martin Luther King marching on Selma. Like, it, like it, this is a very different world. I think it reminds people that even if there aren't people in their immediate community that share their beliefs, it, it, it lets people know that there are people beyond that immediate social circle that do. Um, and it allows people to share information much more quickly. Like the idea of like the viral protest where basically someone's like, oh, we're having a protest here. And then like the next day, there's 50 of them across the country. Like that's that's yeah. also like not that, that's powerful. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, sometimes it's a giant trash fire, um, but sometimes <laughs> yeah. it's also very cool. Well, when you, you, you get down into the, the denizens of the various subreddits and that's where so much of that that negativity you know ferments as well you yeah know, people, people find those communities just as easily and and that's yeah that's, that's like the dark side of it is that like you can find those communities it becomes an echo chamber i mean we've even mm-hmm. talked on previous episodes the way that algorithms um yeah, like all basically those sith, re- all those sith yeah they like precinct your yeah. your content for you so that it's it's basically ingrained into your media that you're getting confirmation bias yeah well okay so with the negative and with the social media and stuff i was trying to come up with like what what were the things that i thought were the biggest pop cultural moments of of the decade 
And when, you know, when we first talked about this episode, I thought, well, it's the MCU or, you know, like yeah, mm-hmm. or Star Wars or, you know, like, but I think that for me, probably the number one moment in pop culture is the 2016 election or at least in the United States, the 2016 election of Donald Trump. And which I don't think by itself, I think that you also combine this with things like Brexit happening. But I think Trump is the yeah. very clear indicative. I think that the he's iconic of a larger trend. Yeah, because pop culture isn't just, you know, the movies we watch. Pop culture is the news. And, you know, I think that there's a man. <laughs> and I'm going to use the word man, you know, a, a human being. Heavily. Yeah, yeah, heavily. Who, who rose to power and arguably became the most powerful individual on the planet essentially by weaponizing being a Twitter, a, a Twitter troll. Like that's, yeah, that's amazing. Um, and I mean, this and, is one of the things where it's like people called, I mean, when the Obama presidency, people called Obama, the social media president. And it's like, now mm. we're basically Trump is right. the like darker version of that, yeah. where he's like very much a social media president. He's better at it. Like, yeah, he's, and, and, he's, right. he is and, and he, be, and not for, a better person, but he is, he is 100% yeah. undeniably better at social media branding than than Barack Obama was and probably just about any person on this earth. And, and he, he spent 40 years weaponizing celebrity before there was social media. Yeah. And he's, you know, and he's doing abject evil with this power, you know, but, but I think that the fact that he's, he's risen to power and I'm going to try to spin this into a good thing. He's risen to power and essentially made our culture right now is about him you know like as we record this uh you know, not not when it drops but as we record this we're literally on the brink of war with iran arguably because he was in a bad mood and his feelings got hurt <laughs> because people yeah. thought he was doing a bad job and like it's a longer story but like the fact that he has that kind of power he has affected what our culture is going to be now and for decades even yeah. and here's the good part even in as much as the things that I like about our culture right now, the Me Too movement, the Black Lives Matter movement, hashtag activism, diversity in superhero, like a lot of this stuff is just reactions to yeah. Jesus, we've got this horrible person. Let's try yeah, to yeah, do he, the opposite. He's, he's energized a lot of that stuff. Yeah. And so right, because people, I mean, this stuff was all happening during like earlier presidencies, but yes. like we weren't talking about it in the same way because I think there wasn't this like underlying villain. I don't, <laughs> well that, but I think there's also like an underlying cultural anxiety for a lot of people that wasn't present, like wasn't, like there when you had a president and a national politician that like whether you were pro Obama or not, or like whether you trust your state representative or not, didn't feel as precarious and volatile in a way like in the way that our politics feels now. Like now it feels like everything is constantly if not in crisis mode or like a week from crisis mode. Yeah. Well, also, I think that like Mav's like not necessarily wrong in like pointing to Trump as a villain because like I mean it's obviously not just Trump, and like there's something wrong with like us. Um, <laughs> but but like I I think that a lot of people like could look the other way 
uh, in the Obama era, even in the yeah. George Bush mm-hmm. era. And now it, everything's been like taken to like the logical conclusion of some of those policies that were always gross and everything's been dialed up to an extreme that you can't look away. And mm-hmm. And it's constantly in your face in a much more personal way. Like it's on mm. your living room TV on the news every night mm. or on your podcast feed or whatever. Whereas like a lot, especially things like the Me Too movement, like if that wasn't affecting you, like if, if workplace harassment, um, things like domestic violence or whatever, if that wasn't affecting you in your daily life, you probably didn't think about it on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. Like Wayne, we've talked about this. You're not a sports fan. I don't think any, I think I'm the big sports fan on this show. And yes, Prior to 2016, like, like uh, Colin Kaepernick was not the first person to kneel during the national anthem. He'd been doing it for weeks before Trump noticed. And whether and Trump may hate Colin Kaepernick, Trump made Colin Kaepernick. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, Kaepernick was Kaepernick was was kneeling. He did it literally for like two or three weeks that and nobody paid any attention to him because he was a backup quarterback on the worst team in the league at the time. Like people don't realize that they were awful <laughs> and he and and nobody paid attention to him and it bothered him. And, you know, Trump's an asshole and he's wrong. But the good part of it is at least people, you know, they noticed him because Trump complained about it. So there was a little bit of backlash. Of course, the the cost of this is it essentially ends Kaepernick's career. Right. Like, so it it cost him a lot. But um, but I do think that, like, it brought attention to not only the Black Lives Matter movement, which was his point in the first place, but into the you know to an extent to the incredibly racist history of the song that is our national anthem in the first place so there's good parts also it it, it brought another thing to point out that the nfl is just terrible yeah yeah also do you, and they are i was gonna say do you feel that like sports like college like national like whatever do you feel like things have gotten more toxic lately? I think that's a whole other episode. <laughs> um, I, I think, like, I, like in terms of politics or oh, wait, just, just how about? people, just just how people in the sports fandom talk to each other about uh, the players, about the coaches. Just maybe it's maybe it's part a bigger part of social media. But I I reckon like uh, Mississippi State's uh, football coach Joe Moorhead. Well, he's no longer Mississippi State's football coach. Uh, it got fired, and it was partially because the fan base was really toxic toward him. And I just noticed this like before we were recording. It doesn't matter. It's fine. I think that's a complicated question that I think maybe is a different show that we might have to do one day. But my short answer is I don't think sports are more toxic, um, sports fans and everything. I think that they're probably getting better. Even the NFL is probably getting better but that's because the nfl started as a trash fire and like sports has been sports fans have been trash fire and garbage people for so long and i think that you know the positive of all the stuff we're talking well no but i think the positive of all the stuff we're talking about is the immediacy of everything with social media with the fact that any person on the in this world can now broadcast their message to if they're lucky billions of people across the you know they, they not everybody gets there but like you can tweet something out and the immediacy of all that means that for a lot of the stuff that would have been just glossed over before because you know it, it, it used to be that like a sports star could beat up his wife or his girlfriend 
and like it would just go away the next time he won a big game. And I think that we've gotten to a point where, yeah, we're noticing it more and that's good. I, so I don't know that I don't know that the sports are getting worse. I think that the awareness is more public better. scrutiny. Yeah. 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 So I, I don't think that we can resolve. I mean, I, I think that like I, as the decade has gone on more and more people felt like it's become a giant trash fire. Mm-hmm. I mean, is the world it, ever not a giant trash fire? I mean, I mean, yes, <laughs> correct. But, you know, it's like the mood. There's just degrees of trash fire. No, the, especially in the United States, like the mood is a general sense of like, I guess, unless maybe you're a, 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 a big Trump supporter. I don't know. Are they happy about the Probably not. I mean, yes, honestly, no, I don't think are. a lot of them are. Well, some of them are happy, but I think some of them are very unhappy because they're very upset that we have called them racist. Yeah. And their feelings. Right. Are SJWs exist. And therefore, mm-hmm. they also think the world is a trash fire. A lot of the Trump like line was basically like the, you know, the SJWs and the immigrants and everything are ruining your lives. And so now you must fight back. So, like, I think they started with the supposition that, they, that, that the world was already a trash fire. Yeah. Well, if they if they're upset about being called racist or sexist on this show more than actually <laughs> being racist or sexist, maybe they should go sit and think about that for a minute. They're not listening um, to this show. Like, I mean, they're not listening, <laughs> no, they're they're not listening to this show. <laughs> no, no, they're not. Uh, but is there, since we have ended on a giant trash fire, is there anything we've actually enjoyed about the 2010s? <laughs> Riverdale came out. Um, it was great. Yeah, Riverdale was really good. Uh, Archive of oh, Our boy. Own became a thing and actually won a Hugo Award last year. Yes. Yeah, that's yeah. true. I think like... Uh, as much as like game like Gamergate and things happen in this last decade, I think actually like both analog and ga- video gaming culture has gotten a. L- I mean, there's still toxic bits of it. I mean, as many gamers know, a lot of online forums overlap heavily with white supremacist populations. That's another episode. Um, but I think especially the indie scene, there's so many more like cool games. At some point, we're going to have an, an an episode about the Cozy Game Manifesto, which you should totally Google. Mm-hmm. Uh, Slash, will put a link in the show notes because it is magical. And so I think there's becoming there's like signs of improvement and and some actual material improvement in terms of like a wider and expansive sense of like what is like who a gamer is, what kind of media is out there for people and like people are able to find their little like nerd niche communities, um, mm-hmm. whether it's gaming or whatever. And I think there's something kind of amazing about that. We couldn't do that like before the internet. Oh, AMC A-list. Yeah, I was going to say and podcasting, for instance, you know, yeah. niche yeah. thing. But, we exist. Yeah, there's yeah. um 2000. I mean, podcasting has been around for 20 years now, but like I think this last decade has been great for it. Just like you know, same thing with, you know, podcasting and all these social media type, you know, yeah. Oh my God, we need to do a podcast Content about podcasts. <laughs> uh, well, but seriously, I cannot overemphasize how much I have loved having movie pass until it died <laughs> at AMC A-List. Because like being able to go to the theater and afford it, and actually mm-hmm. AMC has made a profit off A-List because now people are able to afford to buy concessions. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, yeah, I mean, they... So, so we we talk about, uh, we talked briefly about how movies were a little different with, um, with um like Hannah you said that it's not so much more butts and seats it's more it's inflation and that is most of the profit but even though the theater chains are hurting there are there are more tickets being sold just because there's more content than ever yeah you know, so that's something you know there's a lot of there's a lot that's out there there's a lot of pop culture tins consumed there's too much pop culture too much television you know so yeah so but we can watch all the things here's to the next decade and i'll meet you guys <laughs> yeah. in 10 years to discuss that <laughs> yeah. Woo! 
Assuming that the world hasn't imploded because that's yeah. the end of the deadline for averting massive disaster climate change. Yeah. What are, what are we looking forward to as we slowly watch the polar ice caps melt and Australia? Animal Crossing! Oh. Being released in March. Which actually we should once again link to the Australian Red Cross in case anyone wants to donate. Yes. Absolutely. Because actually Animal Crossing should definitely happen. Yeah. But Animal Crossing is happening. Um... I don't know. I'm I'm excited about the growth of like a lot of indie indie media, actually, even though that seems to be not happening in the film film world. But in the game world, at least, I'm very excited about that. Even like in the analog spaces, there's like a, there's some negative stuff that comes along with that. But I'm I'm pumped about it. And also the growth of like the like as much as online activism, I'm heavily skeptical of. I think that's also an exciting change. That's um, we'll we'll see how it goes from here. Also, Cash is releasing her new album January 31st. Oh, God. <laughs> and on that note, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we've talked about Riverdale. We've talked about Cash. I think we're done. <laughs> so anyway, yeah. we've hit all the all the all the high notes of the show. Oh, wait, yes. the good place is ending in a couple weeks. There we go. Okay, there you go. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? We'll we'll do a show on it. Come on. Um, Anyway, the point is we've had a decade and we're presumably going to have another one, you know, and we're not dead yet, I I guess. So, um, so I guess we should wrap that up. Hannah, where can people find you? Uh, You can follow me on Twitter at Hanley Rogers and Katya. Uh, at just that nerd cat on Instagram, mainly sewing in cats. You have been warned. <laughs> and Wayne, uh, my blog waynehighwise.com, Even though it hasn't been updated in forever, <laughs> and neither has mine. You can find my blog at www.chrismaverick.com, or you can follow me on Twitter, which I do a little more often at Chris Maverick. You can follow the show on Twitter or Instagram or Facebook, all the places at Vox Popcast, or you can subscribe to the show's blog at www.voxpopcast.com where we post show notes. You can comment on this or other episodes. You can give us ideas for future episodes or look at our calls for comments on topics that we'll be talking about in the future so that you can tell us what you want us to address when we talk about these topics. If you enjoy the show, and I hope you do, please subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher or Spotify or where the hell else you get podcasts from. And do us a favor. If you leave us a five-star review on iTunes, that helps other people find the show. And we will um, thank you profusely and talk about you on the show and and give you a shout out. And it will help us have a good upcoming decade. That's what I want. I want a thousand new reviews for the new decade. That would be great. We've only got 10 years to pull it off, guys. Yeah. <laughs> no, just do it now. Why wait? Um, I would like to thank Maximilian of Thought War Music for our epic theme song building ever so more epically and playing us out. I'd like to thank you at home for listening, and we'll see you next time. Bye. 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 I've seen things you people wouldn't believe. <laughs> Attack ships on fire off the shoulder of Orion. I watched sea beams glitter in the dark near the Tenhauser Gate. All those moments will be lost in time.
like tears in rain. <laughs>